Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CB145, Forbidden Discovery in Australia, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 255, November 9, 1991. This evening, Otto Scott, Douglas Murray, and I have the privilege of having with us Ian Hodge of Australia. Ian Hodge is a Christian Reconstructionist down under, and for those of you who would be interested, and I believe you would be, he puts out a couple of reports, and if you send him, I hope, a generous contribution he will add you to his mailing list. Now, mailing from Australia to the States is not cheap, so be generous. The Foundation for the Advancement of Christian Studies puts out an FACS report, P.O. Box 241, N-G-A-D-I-N-E, New South Wales 2233, Australia. And also, he will send you Christian Economics. And I think you will find them both very, very interesting. And these two that I hold in my hand, the articles are both cases by Ian. The one is the gun owner's arsenal, one of the finest statements on the right to uh, keep and bear arms that I've seen. The other on the social conditions for wealth, which deals with what uh, the alternatives to freedom are. And it is an excellent analysis. I urge you uh, to write, to send in a gift, and I think you'll enjoy these two. And if you have enough copies, uh, Ian, perhaps you could send them these. We can always make copies of that. Well, Ian, uh, you were telling us, uh, or you were telling me a little earlier, that the two forbidden subjects of discussion in Australia are politics and religion. So let's break the taboos, both of them, and discuss both subjects. Uh, you told us that the ignorance of... Uh, Christianity outside the churches is quite extensive. And you told us a couple of stories illustrative of that. Could you uh, repeat those stories? I think on this occasion, under duress, I could repeat them for you. The story is told of two Australians who were uh, wandering through a large outback paddock when they noticed 
a large bull in the same paddock approaching in their direction. As they were running for the safety of the fence and realised that they would not make it before the bull came upon them, one turned to the other and said, Quick, say a prayer. His friend Popping replied, I only know one. It doesn't matter, he said, say it. He said, all right, for what we are about to receive. <laughs> I like that one. And the other? Well, the other is a story that was actually told um, some years ago by... Um, excuse me, I'll just have to find it here in the... Um, in the book, we have a very interesting publication in Australia, a recent book entitled Advance Australia Where, which I believe provides a very good analysis of Australian culture in terms of uh, religion and the attitude to Christianity. Australians don't, um, as you said earlier, the uh, two taboos in Australian culture are politics and um, and religion, it is considered impolite to um, to kind of broach those subjects. Well, I think it's true to say that uh, politics is, or the taboo against poli uh, politics, has broken down in um, in recent years. The um, economic effects of the country and the state of the, the nation there has definitely brought politics to the fore, so that most people are now willing to discuss it. Sorry, I'm just having a little difficulty finding here. This is a story that was told at, um, by Sir Keith Han Hancock, one of our um, uh, great mining magnates in the country, um, in, in a series of lectures he gave in 1973. <coughs> but the story is uh, two Australians, and one mumbles to his mate, and he says, I'll bet you can't even say the Lord's Prayer. Bet you too, Bob, I can, says the other. Go ahead, his friend replies, say it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You win, says his mate. Here's your two bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's break the taboos and start with politics. Some of the uh, Australian readers of the Calcedon Report have told us that things are rather grim in Australia now, economically. Would you like to comment on that? At least since um, the stock market crash of 1987, Australia has uh, begun to see severe um, economic repercussions of, of that event. We had, as one uh, business writer analyst put it, probably in the first 12 months after the stock market crash, we had probably $100 billion written off uh, the value of company businesses, which for a population of about 16 million people is uh, probably a fair amount of money. Are you talking about our stock market crash? Uh, it was also our stock market crash, and ours was far more severe than what yours was. Yeah, at the same time. Same In day. October, same day. Same day. I didn't know that. Uh, market went down for approximately 50% in, uh, in the few hours of trading on that fateful day in October. Hmm. And those companies went under. They didn't just lose, they disappeared, is that right? Most of them uh, were firms that became bankrupt. Mm -hmm. If you look prior to that, the events um, 
leading up to the, uh, the demise of those companies, we had had fairly constant inflation through the, peri- uh, through the period, and by inflation I mean their you know, government manipulation of the money supply. That had been running at levels as high as uh, around 18 to 20% per annum for a fairly consistent period from about 1983 when our uh, Labor government came into power uh, up to that period. We have not that much. We have that much at the close of the Carter administration, which took us up to 1980. Yes. You went into it three years later. Um, ours was also high during that period as well. Uh-huh. But we had had enormous inflation, or what I consider fairly substantial, at least uh, inflation during the period. So companies had been um, very prone to the use of debt uh-huh. as a means of expansion, uh-huh. and some had, uh, companies had built um, quite substantial empires uh-huh. on the uh, takeover philosophy and then re-gearing the asset and uh, you know, stripping the company eventually and, right. uh, and going on. To the point now where most of those major players into up to that period of the 1987, uh, the, last, um, the last of those big players who's uh, just about to go under with a possible um, bankruptcy, and that was uh, this one company I'm talking about here, was uh, an enterprise that had around $5 billion in assets. What are the uh, central industries involved? It's a mixture. Most of these large ones were um, companies that had built diverse empires. Mm-hmm. And, um, Conglomerates. And, yeah. What's the central industries anyway? I mean, I remember sheep and mining at one point. Uh, what else? They would still be the major ones, um, especially for the export trade. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we don't have a real lot else in terms of, uh, of industry in uh, such a small population. Mm. You mentioned the effect on one great family of Australia sending their son to the Harvard Business School. I think that's a story that bears repeating. It's a good example of uh, what's happened and uh, what prompted it, Otto, was just a comment I heard on one of these tapes some time back where you said, I think that the only thing they learn at Harvard Business School is how to go into debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the particular family, the Fairfax family, had um, started newspapers in the country um, in the early 1800s mm-hmm. and uh, through the generations had built the most substantial newspaper empire in, in our country and the flagship uh, paper, the Sydney Morning Herald, was a was a, uh, were, still is the leading newspaper in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, current heir apparent had been to Harvard Business uh, School in the early 80s and graduated or came back into the country in, um, towards the end of 1986 and decided that he would privatise the uh, company and uh, buy back all the shareholders, including other uh, family members, aunties and uncles. Mm-hmm and uh, privatised the company back into his uh, own name and his mother's name as much as possible. To do that, he borrowed $1.7 billion, half a billion dollars of which were junk bonds out of uh, America here. And he did that just prior to the stock market crash and put the whole thing together in about August in 1980, 
2007. The result was that with the uh, continuing economic decline after 1987, he, uh, the result was that he's now lost the family inheritance. Uh, the whole thing? The whole thing. And it was in the family how many years? 146 years. 146 years. Who took it over? Uh, the banks. That, uh, the banks took it over. The, some of the major banks. That oh, they do a great job running a newspaper. Well, the, they have um, put it up for sale. Sure. The, yeah. the means of getting the assets back. Right. Was the bulk of the money uh, borrowed from other countries? No, the bulk of it, up there, as far as I understand, was borrowed uh, even within Australia. Mm, through stock uh, sale, sale of uh, stock or shares of stock? Uh, through bank loans. And he borrowed from the bank and he bought the uh, shares of stock back. So the depositors in the bank ultimately wound up losing. Well, they got the property. Mm. Possibly the bank haven't lost anything yet. Uh, mm -hmm. Depends on how much they can sell it for. Mm -hmm. But I doubt they can sell it for that kind of money. How about unemployment now? And just to finish on the newspaper, the alternate value that are possibly around about $1.2 billion, he probably could have made it. He could have made it. So, um, you know, if they wipe out probably half a billion dollars of the debt or something like that, then mm -hmm. the chances are. And it is being um, sought after by Australia's richest um, citizen at the moment who also owns competitive newspapers and... Um, and a TV station there. Sorry, I don't find it. If I can just go back and perhaps paint the picture a little bit from 1987. Following the stock market crash, the government predictably then increased the money supply at a far higher rate. They reached peaks of uh, pretty close to 30% through the period um, 1988 into 1989. Mm. And then all of a sudden they cut that rate back to the last figure I saw now is about 2% per annum. Now, from going from that kind of monetary expansion, mm -hmm. uh, for, from that rate, to cut it back so savagely, then uh, what Australia has experienced in the last near uh, 20 months now, since virtually the beginning of 1990, we have seen, a, uh, seen an extremely severe recession. So what you've got is from inflation to deflation. Yes. So now prices are dropping? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Well, you have an election next year. Are they starting to inflate in terms of that? Uh, how did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here yeah. before the, every election. The figures are just starting to show in a month-by-month -month increase again, and it's a little too early to predict exactly what rates, but... Uh, we face an election there end of 1992 or early into 1993. Uh -huh. So um, now would have to be the time they need to recommence cranking up the monetary machine if they're going to do anything. I got un unemployment levels, just to uh, uh, let me interrupt you there. Mm -hmm. Unemployment has grown in the last uh, 20 months from around about 7% up to about 10.2% or so. Last week. I got a flyer from Scudder. Uh, investment company today that stated that uh, the growth rate on, in Australia is 114% of that in the United States. I don't know whether they're anticipating this inflation uh, pending uh, increase in the interest rates and growth 
coming out of that or or what, but they uh, that's their current statement that they came out with today. Our growth rate is flat, so I guess yeah. I guess if they had a two percent growth rate, it would be way up there. Huh? I don't know what the growth rate figures are, it's, um, so I'm unable to comment or know the background to their statement. The company I work for, which is in the financial services industry, we're a financial planning company that uh, help people invest their money. Uh, our managing director addressed us only a couple of weeks back, and he had been to a meeting of um, uh, stock market people and the stock exchange was involved in some of the leading insurance companies. They are predicting a fairly substantial increase in business over the next uh, five to six years. Based on what? Based on the fact that... Um, the banks currently in Australia are in a major a problem. We have not only had um, the stock market crash, but in the last 20 months we've also seen 25 to 30% wipe out of property prices. Now that has created another bout of, of, of uh, problems within the society, but especially for the banking community, who have now a large percentage of non-performing loans. Under our regulated... Uh, the banking system, we don't see the banks go under like you know you you do in this country. Uh, although we have seen the equivalent of um, a couple of uh, savings and loans, what we call um, building societies, mm -hmm. have uh, gone under. So the banks have really cut back their lending to business. So same thing as here. But Australians seem to be willing to uh, put money uh, personally into business enterprises. We have just seen the uh, Labor government um, in the country privatise the Commonwealth Government Bank, or at least sell off roughly a third of it. And there were 200 and a little over 200,000 Australians who were able to get uh, shares in that float. And uh, they put up about uh, one point something billion dollars to, uh, to buy the shares. And the stock market, the stock exchange people, and uh, some of the fund managers over there are saying that if Australians are willing to do this um, at that kind of level, then they feel that uh, Australians will uh, respond favourably to corporate private fundraising, either through share floats or you know, bond issues. Are the savings? They have a lot of savings there. There are substantial savings. I see. Well, that helps. That makes a big difference. The United States is very thin on the savings end. Well, we have uh, our savings rate is probably not much higher. Uh huh. But we have, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of money in the country in in terms of dollar amounts. Mm. Uh, just to give you one example, I mean, just one fund manager alone, the the state government superannuation board in the the state where I'm in New South Wales, you know, manages about ten billion dollars. A lot of money. Mm -hmm. Sam Blumenfeld called me last night and mm -hmm. sends his regards and said you have beautiful cities, wonderful cities, great broad streets, clean and so forth. And of course he lives just outside Boston, which is not very beautiful these days. Uh, and But he also said it's a very socialistic country. We are heavily regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, whether we're more regulated than America is probably debatable. But we have um, this history of our British background, of course, gives us um, very high um, 
uh, left-wing activity in the, within the trade union movement, it's probably peaked at close to 70% of the workforce involved in the union movement. Wow. Now that has started to decline, the union movement has dropped off. It would still be probably though as high as 60% of the workforce wow. involved in labour. So what we have is very high protectionism. You have white-collar unions? There are white-collar unions, but they aren't the uh, no, real source of aggravation. Uh-huh. It's the blue-collar unions that have been the uh, uh, the major source of economic uh, uh, I was going to say mayhem, but that is, is, isn't so true these days, because surprisingly enough with our current Labor government, they have been most successful in managing the economy by... Um, doing two things, I think, which were essential to the country. Number one, when the Labor government got into power, they... And I should just preface that with the statement that our current Prime Minister, Bob Hawke, was the leader of the Australian Council of uh, Trade Unions, the ACTU movement, and was a very... uh, So he's a union leader. He's a union leader. He had uh, carved out for himself an enormous popular following mainly because of his ability to negotiate during the 70s, late 60s and the 70s, when we had a lot of union activity and strike activity, he was able to step in at the last moment and bring up very successful negotiations to prevent last-minute strikes and things like this. He was enormously popular. The um, Labor Party, which is our equivalent of your Liberal-type party, saw his electoral potential and pushed him into uh, uh, Parliament at a by-election in a a safe Labor seat in the late 1982 or sometime in, sorry, 81 it probably might have been, 81-82, and uh, very quickly then promoted him to uh, leader of the party and therefore he became Prime Minister when the Labor people won the vote in in, uh, 1983. But uh, Mr Hawke was very successful in negotiating what became known as the... uh, Union Accord or the Wages Accord. And what has virtually happened in the last uh, eight years, he has convinced the unions to take a cut in pay by not keeping the wage rates up with the inflation rate. So Australians have had uh, a substantial cut in, in, uh, in income levels over the last eight years. He got them to accept that? He got them to accept it. He must be a very persuasive man. He is. You have only to hear him once on television and you know that he comes across as a folksy man who can uh, convince people of whatever he chooses. Mm. He's very impressive that way. There are not too many men who could uh, sit in front of a TV camera with a an interviewer with tears in his eyes confessing adultery and how sorry he was for it and actually receive acclamation from the population. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) What does his wife say? (laughs) I mean, that clinches it. Well, he has an audience uh, that you haven't seen since... Franklin Delano Roosevelt's day. Uh-huh. What's the unemployment situation like now? Well, I said earlier, we've risen in the last uh, almost two years from about 7% up to about 10.2%. Uh, 
So it is substantial, and the amount of jobs being offered is probably cut in half over the over the 20-month period. Well, this resulted in uh, in this country in blue-collar workers voting uh, much more conservative. Has there been a shift in voting patterns over there yet? I think the Labor government has started to uh, wear out its welcome with its uh, own support base uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I should say the other thing that the, that the Labor government did to finish off what I started earlier about the, what they've done uh, to help the economy. They also brought in uh, balanced or almost balanced budgets, which they have run almost through this period. Hmm. Now, we were running budgets as high uh, as... Um, you know, eight billion dollars per annum, and uh, so the Labor government is uh, surprisingly enough, uh, the left-wing uh, socialistic type government has uh, not only negotiated union workers' wages down, it uh, brought in a balanced budget and embarked on a program of privatisation. That's very interesting. It, uh, is this the same government that? Uh Blocked American ships, nuclear vessels, and so No, that was New Zealand. Oh, that was New Zealand. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, it shows you how much I know. Well, at least Greenpeace hasn't sunk any boats in that harbor and <laughs> run off. That's true. How is the, uh, the military establishment and uh, defense establishment in Australia? Is it uh, kept at a very minimal level, or is it growing? Or? No, it has been, if anything, scaled down. Um, the current government has poured most of the resources into um, um, welfare, and uh, so the military has suffered you know, as part of it. Big welfare bill? Yeah. Well, all those unemployed, are they getting welfare? Are they getting unemployment uh, benefits or whatever? Yeah, they can get welfare uh, uh -huh. fairly easily. Mm -hmm. They are proposing to begin to limit that, mm -hmm. and uh, that will create political backlash for them. You made a comment earlier about socialism in Australia, and mm -hmm. it is very right. We have, I started to talk earlier, the protection protection protectionism in, in industries there. To give an example of, uh, of uh, our economic status, our salary level dollar for dollar is probably in some ways similar to what it is here, at least from the brief chat I've had with some Americans in recent days. And um, say, you know, a $50,000 salary here, mm -hmm. I'd probably get the same, or somebody in Australia doing similar work could probably get the same salary. Our personal tax levels on that, though, expand as high as 48 cents in the dollar, plus another 1.25 cents Medicare levy. Well, that's higher than ours. We go up to 33 now, begin at 28. Yeah. Incidentally, the uh, Rockefellers have put, uh, are putting a lot of money into Australia, and uh, there's a sort of a millionaires or multi-millionaires colony down there of Americans who are buying up large estates, putting up very expensive establishments. Non-business, so far as I know. Hmm. In, do you know where? No, I don't. 
but I do know a retired executive from Exxon who is part of that group who is uh, making he's been going back and forth to Australia quite a bit he's very intrigued with the country and I think they're looking at it as a refuge because these are rather far-sighted individuals who see increasing disorder here the smaller population probably does lend itself to a lifestyle, especially out of the major cities, that mm -hmm. um, you know, is uh, very conducive. And uh, we have a fairly laid-back lifestyle and uh, without the pressures that, uh, uh, that are there. Does Australia encourage or discourage foreign investment? Uh, they have an ambivalent attitude to it. Publicly, they tend to discourage it, but... Practically, I think they encourage as much as they can. And we, we need it. We, we don't have the internal resources to develop what we really have there. You haven't reached the Canadian stage. They're selling citizenships. They really are. If you have enough money, you can become a Canadian citizen. Uh, we are doing that to uh, the people in Hong Kong who want to get out. Oh, you are. I was told by a bank officer that uh, in order to qualify for consideration mm -hmm. to enter the country. Mm -hmm. It's only to be considered. Right. A Chinese family had to deposit a quarter of a million dollars into a bank account for at least two months. Australia seems to be giving up its exclusively white policy. Uh, the white Australia policy was abandoned probably during the 70s. I'm not... I couldn't exactly date it, but um, that's when the uh, fairly strict regulations of who could come in was abandoned. Are there many Hindus coming in? Not a real lot of Hindus. We have a growing um, uh, Muslim population, uh, Arabs coming in. Oh, Arabs. And um, That's surprising to me. What from, what, from what? From Arabia? Uh, from um, uh, Jordan, around those areas, and uh, you know, countries surrounding that. And uh, I was just recently uh, employing staff, and I had a, a young Kuwaiti man uh, who was a refugee from the recent troubles there, had uh, come to the country and hmm. was job hunting by himself, so no doubt he will settle down and then apply to bring his family in. It's fairly easy to enter Australia then. It's easy if you can get the uh, the approval. Um, mm. I'm not sure what the approval regulations are, having never applied to enter my own country. So. Well, we don't know here either uh, anymore. We used to know. Are they looking uh, primarily for people with skills? Yeah. If you have certain skills, the, the entrance requirement is pretty easy. We do have a, um, a targeted figure each year which the government allows. Uh, within certain skill ranges, I think the figure is you know, 100 odd thousand you know, immigrants per year can come in. Of course, your location, you know, you're an island <coughs> and a way distant island too. So you don't have our problem. People are, are pouring in from Mexico and from Canada. We have an unprotected border on both 
sides. We used to be very proud of that. I'm not sure that we're still so proud of it, but some are. Yet on the other hand, we have living just to the north of us there, the Indonesians, and um, I met an interesting man who was involved in military intelligence at one time who claims that he saw um, maps captured from the Indonesians which had uh, Australia marked off as part of their own territory. Well, which would be possible. Which would be interesting. And uh, the Indonesians do have a, a history of expansionism to, to some extent. And... Uh, while we may be an island, we we are not that far. We've had boat people come down from from Vietnam and reach mm -hmm. our shores without uh, too much trouble. Mm -hmm. But Australia has really created a, a problem for itself with its own immigration policies by limiting so that the the influx of people in, rather than perhaps encouraging the right kind of people into the country, we have uh, a very small population for the amount of land that we have. And uh, in the current economic situation worldwide, where you've had uh, a massive, massive um, commodity uh, or uh, ma uh, massive drop in prices of commodities and uh, and items like that, where we've had um, you know sheep just killed, slaughtered, you know, in the fields because it's not worth really? bringing them to to market. Mm. If we probably had double the size of the population our rural community could probably be self-sustaining out of the local population but it's not large enough so our grain growers and our, our sheep herders need to find um, export markets to uh, uh, to maintain their properties are they able to market the wall as well as the meat no we've had a massive problem there earlier this year with the uh, uh, some several million dollars of bales stuck there. We had a um, price subsidy scheme where the government purchased, uh, through the Wool Corporation, purchased all Australian wool and then resold it out to um, uh, the world markets. But at seven dollars a kilo or whatever it is, when the world market was only willing to pay two or three, we had a glut of wool, and we had many Australian farmers. Uh, yeah, I wonder because of the, the 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 sudden price drop and the government has actually abandoned the wool corporation and thrown the whole thing out to the wool market has never recovered from World War Two. So many synthetic fabrics have come along, and uh, central heating has increased and taken over in the cities so that there is no longer the same uh, necessity for wool clothing in the winter. Yes, we grew up with wool clothing. Yes. And now a wool suit costs more than any other. Yes. You simply switch to wool in the fall when uh, Otto and I were young. And uh, after the war, uh, the sheep industry here died for two reasons. First, the servicemen uh, came back from the South Pacific, uh, having had rancid mutton to eat, and telling their mothers or their wives that no mutton or lamb was ever going to cross uh, their 
uh, plates again. And second, the synthetic fabrics. The sheep industry was tremendous. It used to be that this area right here, for example, and all the foothills and mountain areas had sheep that would be brought down in the valley to winter in the fields there on the stubble. And uh, uh, now the sheep uh, industry in this state is minimal. And it's uh, Colorado and other states were once tremendous producers of uh, lamb and uh, wool. It's minimal everywhere now. Is it true that you have uh, uh, hamburgers or burgers made out of uh, kangaroo? Um, if they are, I've never seen them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had some very good mutton. Uh, my wife and I were invited on board an Australian aircraft carrier that called in San Francisco Bay, and the second-in-command invited us aboard, and... Uh, I think the cook was probably uh, specially trained in 147 ways to cook mutton, but it was very good. Uh, kangaroo meat is very similar to beef, and it's mm -hmm. very nice to eat. Uh, oh. Living in a, coming from a rural community where we would often go shooting kangaroos, they can be a nuisance and break down fences and destroy the crops. So, uh, yeah, roo meat I've eaten, it's, it's palatable quite well. Well, they live on grass, don't they? Yeah. So should be mm -hmm. edible. Well, the <coughs> sheep industry here, there still is one. Uh, I understand that the, uh, the meat is less adulterated or has less uh, mm -hmm. hormones and injections and so forth. It's the only area that the FDA doesn't fool with, that the government leaves alone. Sheep and it's the natural, you're getting the natural mm -hmm. meat. But how much lamb do you see in the market? Not too much. You know, that's yes. that's and, it. And lamb, I'm very fond of. I am too. But most of your good lamb is sold to restaurants. Mm. And what the restaurants don't take go to the meat market. Of course, to go back there on the on the wool problem, what we have to understand is that in Australia, with our subsidised price, or the, by the government artificially holding the price up, what they effectively did was create a uh, an oversupply of wool. And of course, it came to the head where the government suddenly didn't have the funds to pay out the uh, for the current wool crop. So they really didn't have much choice but to turn around to the farmers and say, "Well, you know, we've made a mistake." But but of course the farmers have borne the, uh, the brunt of the bureaucratic error. We haven't done that yet. We've got enormous agricultural subsidies, which we cannot afford. And we have, uh, we've lost millions of farmers in recent decades. And the Department of Agriculture now has 150,000 employees. It has something like 25,000 when we had a big agricultural sector. Is there a viable candidate to oppose Bob Hawke? Uh, you have an election next year, don't you? Uh, 92. Well, shortly thereafter. It can mm -hmm. be held in this, uh, up into 93. 
No, we don't have a viable alternative, uh, at least not that I think is a viable alternative. We have the uh, Liberal Party as the um, major party in opposition, but they historically have shown themselves to be um, just as left-wing as the as the left-wing unions. Is there any attempt at a, an alternative party, a third party? There are a growing number of independents being elected into Parliament, primarily at the state level, not so much into federal level as yet. So there is there is voter backlash against uh, you know, the political arena. What about the identity card? Did I, is that an Australian problem? It uh, was to be an Australian problem. They uh, did attempt to... Um, introduced that in 1987 mm -hmm. and 1988. It was um, a drop. There was a large uh, political backlash to that. Ah. Although we have now what is called the uh, Clayton's uh, ID card. Not sure whether you Americans understand that phrase. No. We have a non-alcoholic drink uh, called Clayton's Tonic, which is very nice with dry ginger ale. And the advertising copy for the drink is... Uh, the drink you have when you're not having a drink. <laughs> so we have coined the phrase to, you know, Clayton's, uh, you know, can be used in a number of circumstances. I see. The environmental movement and uh, the fawning uh, adulation of Aborigines seems to be as well underway in Australia as it is in the United States. I can't comment about America other than, uh, because I don't know what's happening here. We have um, had enormous amount of territory handed back to the uh, Aboriginals and what amounts virtually to an establishment of apartheid uh, within the country. They are given their own territory, they can run their own laws and they, uh, they're self-governing on that within you know, certain limitations. How many Aborigines are there? I don't know what the population is. a small is. number, isn't it? It's not large, but virtually now they can, if they can prove that it was once tribal land and held some religious significance, the government is almost handing it back, and there are quite a few claims apparently that are being fraudulently used by the Aboriginals. Well, you have two together. types of Aborigines, don't you? You have the Maoris. No, they're in New Zealand. That's New Zealand. Zealand. Well, then you have the, uh, what's, what's the... They're, they're very primitive, are they not? Wait. They and they are blacker than Africans. No. Yeah. Very black. So is this a great favor to them? Yes, for, well, to some of them. I, uh, one of my best friends to, uh, during school was a part Aboriginal mm -hmm. who currently works for the Department of Aboriginal Affairs, a national uh, government um, department. He's totally cynical and sceptical of what the government's doing because he sees firsthand. Of course, there's a man who has risen uh, through the ranks to you know, moderate middle-class success without going the, uh, uh, you know, this is my historical land route. And they have just thrown uh, welfare at the Aboriginals really without uh, any consideration. Uh, concern either for the Aboriginals' welfare or anything else. It's been political uh, game. Oh, for example, they had the establishment of a turtle farm, you know, on the Queensland coast, which was... How about alcoholism among the Aborigines with that 
type of uh, indulgence. It's bad. The South Africans were, when I was in South Africa in 82, I think, <clears throat> very uh, indignant, I guess you'd say, or surprised over the Australian criticisms of South Africa's apartheid. And they, uh, they seem to think that they didn't expect that from Australia. I don't know why not. Doesn't anyone criticize their policy there with regard to Aborigines as apartheid? The, uh, the comment has been made. Some of the most uh, interesting readers in reading in the newspaper has actually been out of the uh, South African ambassador in Australia. Mm. The only way that he could get a fair hearing in the Australian media was to pay for a roughly quarter-page advertisement, which he ran most Saturdays in our uh, most national uh, Saturday paper, The Australian, or The Weekend Australian. And those columns that he wrote were have become very popular, and mm -hmm. to the point they're even now published in book form. Is that so? And he really told the story quite well. And when mm -hmm. the government would say one thing, he would come out and say, but, you know, you're practicing apartheid. We are actually in the process of dismantling it, even now, despite your criticisms. And mm -hmm. um, he won a lot of support for South Africa through those articles. The Australian is a libertarian paper. Uh, quite unusual. I don't think we have anything comparable to it here. Well, it probably tends to publish some free market aspects uh, a little more favorably. I'm not sure that it would be classified as libertarian, but it's definitely been the, the national paper for um, the expression of some of those uh, freer ideas. Well, we certainly don't have any. <coughs> There's a few little newspapers in New Hampshire, there's the Oklahoman, which is never never quoted. Uh, Joe Farrer lost his job for turning his little paper conservative. Practically all our papers speak with one voice. Uh, we outdo Pravda. I think it's probably true. The Australian news, news press speaks with one voice. Uh, the Australian is probably unique in that it is willing to publish alongside an occasional contrarian viewpoint hmm. and, uh, it was very vocal a few years ago when I was there and it was quite new uh, has it drifted since then no it's probably maintained its, uh, its, its status uh, over the years the, the current owner of that paper of course is uh, Rupert Murdoch who's uh, buying quite a few of the newspapers and media outlets in this country. So. Yeah, Murdoch became an American citizen. Yeah. Uh, There's a rumor that his money comes from Oppenheimer of South Africa, but it's only a rumor. How about Fred Niles and his Christian party in New South Wales? Any signs of that spreading or growing? No, if anything, that's probably declining. Uh, Fred's been unique in the Australian landscape in that he's been able to uh, break the taboo on religion and politics and combine both of them very well. Although his traditional stand on, on uh, 
on Christianity, at least in the political arena, is probably could be confined to the areas of abortion and uh, you know homosexuality have been his major campaign platforms. He was just re-elected again um, this year by a very slim margin. His party suffered a fairly substantial split uh, uh, three or four years ago, uh, which I think has damaged the, the cause. But on the other side of it, I think we've also seen the abandonment of um, uh, Christian concern over the political arena in Australia, at least since uh, 1988. Hmm. There was quite active opposition to the uh, National Identity Card that was um, being proposed under the Labor government. And then at least in New South Wales, we had also had a Labor state government that was proposing quite draconian legislation in the area of uh, education control. Mm. which moved, uh, which would have at that time moved uh, right down to um, uh, very tight control of the curricula within the schools as well. Uh, the Labor government was defeated uh, primarily, I think, on, on that education issue and uh, maybe one or two other areas. Now, on the gun issue, they also mm. had taken a stand against and uh, the uh, Sporting Shooters Association in the country had mounted a very active campaign. And the Christians came together in the state quite well on the education issue. But almost since 1988, the, uh, it's almost as if, well, we've done our best and we can all go back and do whatever we normally do. And the political involvement of Christians in the country has declined quite significantly and quite dramatically, quite unexplainedly. Well, they won their case, I guess, and they've relaxed, huh? Well, they didn't really win. Uh, the Liberal government in the state brought in an mm. education bill uh, at the beginning of this year, mm -hmm. which was their promised alternative, mm -hmm. which almost did exactly what the um, Labor government promised to do. They now have curriculum control, or curricular control uh, within certain broad categories, that all schools who wish to comply and uh, sit students for the uh, government examinations and all examinations within the state for university entrance are, are government uh, examinations. Mm -hmm. uh, then the school must comply with these uh, curriculum uh, requirements and uh, there's a local Christian school near where I live. They're currently having a battle with the education department over uh, some content uh, material that is to be taught in the area of you know, sex education material and you know, drug material and, and uh, things like that. Do you have homeschooling? Homeschooling is fairly small, but what the state government has brought into the, into the state now is a, is a Clayton's registration system where now you are free to homeschool and you are free to have a Christian school outside the state system providing you seek non-registration of your school, that you seek an exemption. And the actual exemption is tighter than if you want to um, to operate a Christian school. If you wanted to operate a private Christian school, they would assess that you are capable of teaching the required curriculum. If you want what is called um, a religious exemption from the state system, then they will not only assess you as to whether you're still going to teach the state curriculum in your private Christian school, but they also reserve the right to see if you genuinely hold the, to your religious conviction, and that is really why you are seeking the exemption. So it is uh, a double whammy.
What about religion in the public school, the government schools? Uh, which religion are you talking about in the government schools? Uh, any religion. Huh? Oh, humanism is right, of course. Yes, yes of course. But the Christian religion? Uh, the Christian religion has now been relegated to a lower level up until the uh, current state, and I'm speaking for my own state because that's what I know the best, up until the introduction of this uh, new building to uh, the state uh, beginning of this year, it was possible to have up to an hour instruction per day in religious instruction classes. That has been uh, reduced down to an one hour per week. It probably practically means nothing because I don't know of any church group of any sort that would have been utilising more than one hour per week. Uh, they would have gone in and taken a one period class or whatever. But we had an interesting case there when the Education Act uh, was debated in 1988. There was a, an Anglican minister in the country region who had resigned from teaching in the local high school. And the issue, which only made a very small clipping in the paper, and I eventually contacted the man to discuss it with him because it was an interesting case. He had resigned because there, a circular had been put out by the education department saying that if any minister wanted to teach, or anybody teaching religious instruction, that was teaching viewpoints which the department was not happy with, they could uh, rightly interfere into the um, uh, content of what was being taught in the religious instruction classes. Now, that's not law, that's just bureaucratic regulation. This uh, man had resigned the position because he said, I'm the bishop in my area, he said, and no one tells me what I can and can't teach. Now, he was a, a high churchman, what we would tend to call liberalish in his viewpoints, but he rightly saw that here was the state interference and state control of, uh, of religious instruction. He resigned, and he resigned not because he had a problem. He said, I teach in the ideal situation, the headmaster in the local school, was a um, uh, deacon in his church, elder in his church, so he had no problems. There was just this official position being taken and he felt he needed to um, make a stand against it. But no one saw the issue and stood with him. Yeah. England has a state religion, as the Church of England. Australia doesn't have a state religion. Only insofar as we are still tied to Britain. And that's a very tenuous uh, tie. The Church of England has no no special status there. No, only insofar as the monarchy still, you know, has some bearing into the Australian political scene. And that's but you don't you don't have an official religion. And obviously, what uh, what little you've had is being diminished. We've never had a strong religious um, uh, practice in the country. Mm -hmm. We were founded by convicts, not Calvinists, mm -hmm. like your own country here. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, religion was very much part of the um, establishment, you know, the Anglicans and mm -hmm. even the Methodists, early Methodists. Um, some of the clergymen were uh, given positions as magistrates in the early colonies. One became known as the Flogging Parson, and uh, I think that our, our, our 
country's antagonism to Christianity really does go back to the to the roots of the country. To well, yeah, so there is an antagonism. Let me. Our time is almost up, but let me say something in defense of this convict uh, origin of Australia. You recall that uh, at that time in England they had some 200 offenses whereby a man could be hanged from stealing a loaf of bread or a, a, a shilling. Now, the purpose of those laws was not really to hang men. It was to give them a choice. And it was to depopulate the country because they felt they had too many poor people. So the choice was either to hang for stealing a loaf of bread or a shilling or go to Australia as a convict. So the... Uh, idea that uh, there are a lot of bad people who are shipped to Australia is nonsense. They were worked as convicts, uh, incredible tasks assigned to them, roads built. I saw one place about 80 miles out of Sydney where they bridged over almost a generation a gap, a canyon between two mountains by hauling rocks and throwing them there until they reached the level where they could build a road across. But those people were not convicts in any modern sense. They were very poor people against whom this terrible law had been passed in order to give them a choice between hanging and emigration. Well, with that, uh, we'll conclude this session, and thank you all for listening. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.